Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. This is Mike Lewis, joined by Tom Smith, as per usual, lately. Tom, wanted to bring you back. Uh, you know, last time we talked a little bit about this looming legislation. At, at that point, it was California had passed it. There were a number of other states that had introduced legislation. And I'm, I'm talking about pay legislation to allow the players, NCAA athletes, to basically monetize their images and, you know, essentially do endorsement deals. Right. A lot has happened since we had that conversation. The NCAA actually, I believe, meeting on the Emory campus. Whoa. Yeah, did I, they really? I, I had no idea. It, it was at, at, either did I. Um, this speaks a little bit to our relevance, you and I. <laughs> no one um, even asked us. Yeah, no one even asked us they could meet. Um, that the NCAA and and you know maybe this is not a fair characterization. Kind of threw up their hands and said, "We surrender," or wow. you know, so they will start to move down that path. So. Given the, that this is a topic that interests us both, I think it definitely sort of hits um, some of the areas of expertise that we each have. wanted to bring Tom back for two more episodes. So in this one, we want to have a discussion that let's sort of just talk about it in terms of the nuts, the nuts and the bolts of the sure. issue. And then we'll come back one more time if it fits your schedule and talk about proposed solutions for this situation. I mean, because one of the things that least I'm struck by, is that the NCAA has said we're going to move in the direction of allowing players to, and again, I'll say monetize their images and names, et cetera, but without a lot of guidance or a lot of details regarding how this is actually going to play out. That's right. That's right. Okay. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, always, Tom. Um, so, I, you know, so I guess the question is, how do you want to go about this? Now, Tom, you've actually brought notes, so I will defer a little bit to you. One of my thoughts was that we could potentially, like if I'm looking at this as, as an issue, maybe I'm breaking it down in terms of the different stakeholders sure. involved, the, yeah. the universities, the athletes, potentially even the consumers. And I mean, I suppose, depending on how far in the weeds you could get, we could also talk about the distribution channels, so things like the media. And, and not that there's anything special about that structure, but that it sort of gives us, well, it gives us some structure to talk about things in an organized fashion. That's right. That's right. Maybe to set it up, maybe we can talk about what's currently some of the aspects of receiving compensation for your name, image, and likeness. So NIL, that's what the NCAA refers to on quite a number of, of cases that they've been involved in. Okay. And so what what's currently allowed and what's currently not allowed and then what direction that goes. Just to sort of sort of set the set the bar, if you will. Go for okay. it. So the NCAA does have some pretty strict rules with respect to what makes you an eligible amateur athlete. Right? And it's so in front of me I have the summary of the NCAA regulations. And not surprisingly, a lot of these regulations have to do with what it means to be an amateur athlete. Namely, if you do these things, you are actually in violation of being an amateur athlete. Okay, so you're looking at what existed essentially yesterday. So in this, this yeah. old, in the old yeah. world. So yeah. this is yeah. this is what you had to be to be an amateur. Right. So I mean, it's like the, like the second section, right? So it's part one, section two, amateurism in all sport. You are not eligible to participate in the sport if you've ever taken pay or promised for pay for competing in that sport, or agreed to compete in a professional athletes in that sport. There are some exemptions with respect to how much you can earn. So, for example, like tennis, you can earn up to ten thousand dollars 
in prize money in tennis and still be uh, eligible to play tennis. You can earn some reimbursements for travel and things like that if you are participating in, let's say, club soccer or things of that nature, right? But by and large, I mean, prior to this new ruling was, or the new the new announcement by the NCAA is that an amateur athlete means that you're participating, but you're well, not participating in that, in that particular sport for pay. I'm raising my hand. Yes, sir. Okay, but the NCAA, this sort of change that you can um, profit from your likeness and do right. endorsements, how's that relevant to any of what you've just discussed? It sounds like there's no change happening, right? Mm, I'm not sure. So suing to get compensation for your name, image, and likeness. So there was a court case. This is an O'Bannon case that went in front of the different courts. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say... You know, that, that started more than a decade ago and it did. Sort of came, came to a head, what about, I mean, it took a long time to work its way through, right? Yeah, mostly because it was it was affirmed and then it went to, to um, an appellate court. So, but O'Bannon, so he, he was... Uh, Ed O'Bannon, who played power forward for UCLA, and the issue was related to the EA Sports video game, correct? That's absolutely correct. Okay. You're very good. So you don't even need these notes. You just know what's going on, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, and so he was, I mean... EA Sports was basically selling games that had his likeness, and you know some of his friends said, "Yo, dude, I'm you know I actually am playing with you on on the, on this video game," and you know he didn't receive that as O'Bannon didn't receive any compensation for the fact that EA Sports was using this. Okay, UCLA did though, right? That's right. Via That's right. some some system and that the way that. EA Sports had negotiated the license with the NCAA. Okay. That's right. And so what happened is Bannon basically sued EA Sports, the NCAA, saying that it, they were violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. And and he won okay, and he time, didn't. Time out, time yes, out, time yes, out. Sir. Okay, Tom, what's the Sherman Antitrust Act? The Sherman Antitrust Act essentially prohibits firms from engaging in non-competitive Behavior. So any kind of behavior that is in conspiracy, restraint of trade, or commerce, that's in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. So it was, sounds it, broad. It, it is very broad, right? And it was put in place to basically stop like robber barons and what have you from the Rothschilds and what have you from uh, having like all of the railroad companies and all the steel companies kind of colluding with each other. So. O'Bannon won and he lost, right? So they so they said, look, just because you're the NCAA doesn't mean that you don't have to uphold these elements of the Sherman Antitrust Act. And so the NCAA was, was the courts basically said, yeah, you're violating this by colluding, restraining of trade. But at the same time, there is this amateur athlete element. So it's, if you're being paid, you're not exactly an, an amateur. And so the the long end of this of this court case was that they said, okay, what you can do is we're going to allow you to receive some deferred compensation if you're an athlete and your image is being used in a video game or what have you. And they'll put it in escrow. That is, the college will put it in escrow, and then they'll pay you after you're no longer in college. So you're, you're going to receive compensations like five grand a year. Okay, so this was the first crack in the NCAA's relationship with, in terms of not paying the players. I mean, as far as having a, a real crack, okay. yeah, right. And so, so I mean, college players can be paid for their likeness. They just can't be paid while they're in school. So the money will accumulate, be put in escrow, and then after you're out of school, then you will receive some compensation. Well, and, and from your reading of this story, the college players are also in no position to negotiate their own rates on this, right? That's true. That's true. And that's, I mean, that's part of a problem is that, is that you think about like an, uh, your average student, let's say, 
you've got somebody at, at um, University of Illinois, right, which is where you went to school, who, and it's, uh, they've, they had a pretty, pretty robust jazz program, right? And so, let's put, no, they, it's always an adventure. We have a robust jazz program. At University uh, of, that's right, that's right. You it get was a Bachelor famous. of Science in Jazz Musicianship. Yeah, you can. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy named Garvey was the, was the. Okay, okay. So, anyway, they had a really great program for a long, long, long time. So, um, so anyway, let's suppose you're a jazz musician at a school, right? You could go record an album with somebody, get paid for that, and still be eligible to play on your college jazz band, right? Whereas you just don't have those kind of options as an athlete. And so there is a little bit of apples and oranges with respect to the way the NCAA identifies earnings for different types of students. And okay, so okay. College athletes don't have the same kind of let's say, access to their own image and likeness as, let's say, somebody who's not a college athlete. Okay, so our starting point, I think, in this discussion is talking about the implications of this change in terms of how it affects athletes. Sure. Okay. You know, my, my sense is from how you went through that, I mean, you know, and I don't know how much of this we should have as a kind of sort of contentious debate. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if Because if we did so, I suspect we might be both kind of artificially taking one side or the other. But from what you just said, that sounds sort of sort of the, the positive side, the basic notion of fairness that other athletes can profit from their skills, even if they're um, part of a university program. And so, why should not athletes? So, if a jazz musician is a majoring in jazz musician, musicianship, mm-hmm. um, again, thank you very much for that word today. <laughs> um, then, why should not a wide receiver or a point guard? That's right, and so that's right. If you if you're part of the photography program, could you generate money from selling some of your photos to Time Magazine or something, or could you have a website online where you're selling some of your photographs, probably, and not lose any kind of eligibility being part of the school paper? Or if you're, like I said, a musician, if you have, a, you know, I mean, if you're in the dance program and you go and work some kind of a, a summer gig, or if you're in the theater and you work in summer time, I mean, they don't pay very much, but I mean, you can do it. And you're not going to lose eligibility to be part of your, you know, school's mm-hmm. theater program. So, I mean, in that same vein, and of course, like you said, we're sort of artificially taking a particular side. In that same vein, you know, shouldn't college athletes be able to, let's say, earn some money on the side and still retain their amateur status? Okay. Of course. So you, you, you seem to be okay with that line of reasoning. Um, you know what? I'm really not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. That's okay. And so let, let, let me... Let me... Let me push back hard on that. Okay. Okay, so here, here's the difference. The, the college sports are a unique animal in all of this. You know, so, and I don't want to pick on the University of Illinois in, in all of this, but, you know, let's say a student comes to Emory and they're on the Emory student newspaper, and based on that, they land a side-riding gig at the AJC, the Atlanta Junior. Uh, sorry, the Atlanta AJ. I've got a call today. It's a journal constitution. And, yeah, Atlanta journal <laughs> constitution. Thank you. Help me out today, Tommy. That they they land that side gig and they can be compensated for it. That's fine. That that's great. I would argue that there is a transference of brand value that occurs in sports that is unique in this space. Mm. Okay. In that you know writing for the Emory School paper does not make that individual a draw to then write for the Wall Street Journal. I'll choose an easier newspaper to say for myself this morning, or the New York Times. It does not make that being a you know, the uh, an award-winning music student at any of these institutions does not 
enabled that student to sell tickets. But in the realm of sports, I would say that it really does. Right. That college sports brands are so powerful. Hmm. They, they may be... In some ways, they're as powerful as many of the professional sports brands. And, and in fact, you can argue that maybe even more powerful. Maybe they don't reach as many people broadly, right. but the level of intensity and passion about those brands sure. is off the charts. And so these athletes are essentially leveraging the college brand name in a way that is unlike any other student athlete. Hmm. Hmm. That's actually a very, very good point. And so... You're right. Is, is so if I'm a there's a couple places I'm thinking. If you're a musician at uh, Berkeley or Boston, right? Or if you're Juilliard, uh, yeah. If you're a musician or a dancer at Juilliard, right? You can leverage that school. The school for performing arts and yeah, what was that fame? Yeah, right. I'm exactly. Gonna... <laughs> very nice. Very nice, yeah, well, Mike. A little so, more cold medicine. I'll start singing. That's right. a better show. So you're right. There there are a couple situations under which uh, let's say really, um, but but an artist. But I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna push back. And the reason I'm pushing back is to, you know, I, I think this this argument that uh, this whole debate is kind of almost sedate on the negative side. It's like it's like the NCAA. I think like threw up their hands because they were afraid of the political fallout. I, I don't think having a kid in the Juilliard program sells a single ticket to anyone in America. No, I think you're right. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. I, I was going to say that there's a couple situations where the school would help the individual. Help. In, but there are not the same kind of situations mm-hmm. in performing arts or, uh, or a journalism program or a photography program yeah. or something else that would give somebody the same kind of platform that playing for University of Alabama or University of Illinois or what have you. Like being on the you know, Duke basketball program is giving that athlete a, a significantly different kind of stage right. that even a Juilliard top dancer isn't receiving. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is, it's... I was going down an avenue that I knew was going to be very dangerous, but you're right, is that the brand that the school has contributes so much to the value so, of the athlete well, that it's difficult to say that that well, athlete has generated that value him or herself. I'll argue with myself on this one. I can imagine really rare circumstances. Zion Williamson last year, yeah. if LeBron James had had to go to college, because LeBron's, LeBron was an interesting one, right? Because he had so much hype throughout high school. You know, he's playing games on ESPN in high school that you could argue that his brand had already been formed and he was in a position to leverage it. And I'm I'm more than willing to be wrong. I I just struggle to think of situations where that athletic brand is such a, um, you know, sort of stands apart. No, you're that, absolutely right. That, um, and so it's very difficult to not connect them back to the school. You think you're, I think you're right. And I think then by, by allowing the student to monetize their likeness, their, their, their likeness has value because it's associated with a university that has a significant brand. It's and so they're, they're impossible to disentangle, right? Yeah, it's impossible. So they're capturing the value of that brand in some respects. And so, so yeah, the school is affording them a platform that yeah. they wouldn't have otherwise. So I can see that that would the marginal revenue product of any particular athlete is going to be really difficult to to assign to an athlete and not to a school or a program. There's something mm. about the Alabama football program or the Duke basketball program that gives an athlete a special position yeah. in those markets. Now, now I do think it's fair. I, I did an interview uh, locally here in Georgia last week and. Um, 
the reporter brought up, uh, you know, Jake Fromm, so quarterback for UGA. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think it's fair to say, well, Jake Fromm, you know, so it's, I'm sort of making the argument that Jake Fromm's local value is very much a product of playing for UGA. Yes. Okay, for folks listening outside of the Atlanta metro region, it's UGA is one of these programs where – you know, it's you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but really beloved in the state. I mean, it's the 800-pound gorilla in in the state of Georgia in terms of what people's where people's passion really lays. Is that fair? Yeah. No, it's absolutely. People just love this this football team. Yeah. So now I think it's fair that you know Jake Fromm could have gone to play at Clemson. Yeah. Could sure. have had an impact in the South Carolina market or. You know, could have gone to play in Alabama. I mean, he could have gone. He could have gone a lot of different places. Could have gone to Notre Dame. Yeah. Right. And so there's definitely this kind of value that he would have had anywhere, right? right. That he could play at that level. Question is, how do we separate that out? I think it's almost impossible because we, because we've only we only see that the top athletes we only see them with one college team, right? We tend to then associate that athlete with that college. team. Team. Okay. And so, and we it's we don't just say, oh, this player. We say, oh, the player who was on this team, right? I mean, that's that's how we think about these players. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and this is, let's get totally geeky into the weeds on this one. I remember um, going back to let's say 2002. A terrible story to tell, but you know, Illinois was recruiting a couple of point guards out of Chicago, D. Brown, and I think the other kid's name was Sean Dockery, and Dockery went to Duke. D. Brown went to Illinois. I would happily wear a D Brown jersey. I got no interest in a Sean Dockery sure. jersey, yeah. right? And and I think that kind of that kind of sums it up in some ways, right? It's like if it had been reversed, where would my fondness lay? It would be in the other direction, right? Right, of course, right, okay. of course. But I think that the disentanglement part, I think, is really correct. You know, I pay a lot more attention to let's say college basketball than I do to college football, right? And yeah. so. But I mean, when people talk about Michael Jordan and, and you know University of North Carolina, I mean it's they're, they're so connected, right? Mm-hmm. And and also like who he was playing on those teams, well, right? Or Christian Leitner and right and, and Duke. Duke. Right? So but, it's you, they're so connected that there's something so, about that player on yeah. that team at a time that gives a person sort of a encapsulates their whole sort of well, amateurness, yeah. And, and when you say that, when you throw out those a couple of those names, and and I think there's a you know, there's definitely sort of a cognitive bias that brings us towards only, you know, thinking about thinking about college sports in terms of outliers, right? Right. I mean, it's it, it's no, just it's, it's just what people are, and because if you if you throw out Michael Jordan and yeah, Leitner, I guess, but um, you know, you're talking about like sort of this these very rare transcendent talents, right? Right, and and so these are the guys that are not just, let's say, harvesting or, you know, transferring the brand equity to themselves. These are the guys that I would argue actually are the ones that are creating the brand equity. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. For let's just go in a different direction, right? right. So so Tiger Woods could have gone and played played amateur golf any number of places. Right. right? Pretty sure he went to Stanford. Mm-hmm. I had a colleague that told me that <laughs> kind of stuff a lot. Every uh, other every other yeah. minute. God bless you, Manish. All right. So here's a deal. It's when you have an athlete like that, but Nota Begay, who was his roommate and a, and one of time, his time out, time out. Who? Nota Begay. 
Okay. Right? Go on, Tom. So no so so he is he was also on Stanford's team, right? Okay. Who played with Tiger, was a roommate with Tiger. You say you don't even know this guy, right? So it's here's a deal. He uh he was a he was a tour athlete for a while. He has a nice charity, he does some I know no one's wondering. I couldn't name five pro golfers. Yeah. So again so, a transcendent talent so, though, but, right? But he was I mean he was an exceptional right. athlete. But um he gained some of his reputation because he played with Tiger at Stanford, right? Yeah. I mean, so Tiger is mm. the sort of that he transcends all of that, brings attention to the Stanford golf team, and then everybody who's playing with him on those teams then grabs some of that, you know, some of that national attention. And so, so Begay's attention is because Tiger was on that team, right? And yeah. other people have those same kind of they have those kind of those kind of relationships, right? So it's like they get attention because sure. of the school. So you have the Reggie Bush, which is playing for USC and winning a championship, but then you have the players who are playing with Reggie Bush, mm-hmm. who then okay, they get they get their value because they're on the championship team, USC right. team. And so it's there's one athlete that may transcend it, and then there's a whole bunch of athletes that probably get the value of the team moment okay. and it transfers to them. Let me throw out another argument. This sounds sounds like I'm actually going going against, you know, paying these players. I mean, you're you're convincing, <laughs> you're convincing me, Mike. You're well, okay. Me. So let me throw another one that's sort of counter towards the idea of paying the players and it's related to what you just said. And in particular, if we, you know, look at these rules which will allow the players to hire agents. Right. Then are you now creating a situation so the opportunity to play with transcendent players yeah. or play at high brand equity institutions right? or you sign with an agent who is, even if you're not aware of those factors, he's sure aware of those factors. Sure. And so are you looking at a situation where moving this sidestep away from amateurism actually has detrimental educational outcomes. So now you're in a position where maybe the students are not making their decisions. And again, you can kind of laugh and say, well, they never were, are making decisions not based on the educational goals, Mm -hmm. but rather on monetary goals. And in particular, the monetary goals, they're being steered towards the monetary goals of the agents. And, you know, no reason to really pick on them except for what I would foresee happening the shoe companies. Right. Right. Okay. So it's really, it really comes down to sort of the fine print here and what the NCAA allows in terms of capturing the value for your image and likeness and what have you, right? And so if they allowed you to, they allowed you to sign with an agent, they allow you to, you know, run your YouTube channel and get paid for your autograph and your pictures and what you're, you know, through EA Sports and what have you. Um, I thought you were going to go in a slightly different direction. I thought you were going to go in the direction of, let's suppose you sign with an agent and the agent goes out and goes and signs like all of the best, uh, I don't know, all the best athletes at you know, any number of schools in, across the Midwest, right? Now this, athlete ha- now this agent has a relationship with a dozen different you know, top quality athletes. Well, that sounds like professional basketball. Now that agent can build super teams, right? Yeah, right. And so right. since the college athletes are allowed to have agents, then the agent says to a school, says, oh, you know, you want to, you're, you're trying to build a program. I've got five <laughs> athletes who want to come in, you know, become the next, you know, Fab Five, right? And so they're going to take you all the way to the NCAA finals if they well, can. Well, who is the agent saying that to, Tom? The agent might be saying that to 
the students, the agent might be saying that to the athletic director at a at the Not to the athletic director, right? Oh, the recruiter, the coach, the head coach? Well, no, I mean, not to. The, remember, we're not looking at rules where the college gets to pay, right? So the agent is talking to the boosters? Uh, yeah, the agent's talking to the car company and, and the local the local the, car company in the town, the boosters, the, yeah. And Nike or Adidas or Under Armour? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? It's you're, Yeah, the agent is, but is the agent working in concert with these with these schools too? I mean, they almost have to be, right? Because if you say, okay, I got well, five players, they all want to play for Gonzaga or something like this. I think that's the one thing that the NCAA has not moved on, right, in terms of coordinate, you know, letting the schools pay the players right it's all these kind of third parties i think right right but if you once you allow this to enter into a slippery slope where the athletic director says hey we can't pay you but somebody puts a little b in the athletic director's ear that says you know we've got you know five million dollars because we won a championship comes to the school we're willing to pay these athletes for personal you know, promotional activities just today um, someone told me that part of the reason willie Tigert was fired from florida state is that the boosters raised 20 million dollars to handle the buyout in the acquisition of a new coach interesting so I could think that the obvious thing is now the booster organization is going to raise $20 million to get this Fab Five team that your hypothetical agent across the Midwest has put together. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just no, no. hearkening back to the... Back to Illinois, too. but but I think it, but I think it's 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 absolutely fair, right? So that then you have really powerful booster organizations yeah. acting as shadow athletic departments in a way, right? And right. just I mean, just barely shadow. And in the scenario that we set up is just barely a shadow organization. Right. But it's clear. I mean, they're clearly engaging in activity that. I mean, depending on what the fine print is, if the NCAA says you can have agents and they can be and students can be paid for their likeness or image or you know doing mm-hmm. personal promotions and what have you, then you get the boosters who say that this is all legit. You know, we're paying this guy hundred thousand dollars to. And you then know. it becomes something like politics, where the super PACs cannot, cannot, you know, air quotes around cannot, cannot coordinate with the candidates. Right. Right. Except for when they do. Except, Except for, for when they do, do, sort of, you know. And, 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 shit, yeah, and, and so it, it all opens up. Okay, so yeah, I'm looking at the clock, and I know we're on a little bit of a tight schedule today. So we've got a couple more minutes. We've got well, more but minutes. so talked a little bit about sort of the athlete side of this. What about the institution side of this? And this is something that I never seem to hear in terms of these debates, right. is how does this affect the institution? And I think the immediate pushback, and I think the immediate pushback is that ESPN, like the ESPN talking heads, would say, well, I, I don't care about the institutions. The institutions are already getting rich, right? The athletic director makes $2 million. The head coach makes $5 million. Right. Now, it's interesting to me that that's as far as they see. They seem to think these universities are just athletic departments. Yes. Right. Well, when you, when ESPN is talking about this, if it's Mike and Mike or you part of the interruption or whatever else. Mike and Mike doesn't exist anymore, Tom. <laughs> well, i got to get on the radio a little bit more often. i got to get on my Spotify going on that. But uh, so it, so when you get when you've got ESPN talking about these institutions, then they're just thinking about them as well. Let's they're just just they're just promoting yeah. sport, right? Well, or maybe that's as far as they think about it, right? Yeah, they don't care about the English departments. Yeah, exactly. So let's um let's sort of uh, and you tell me um let's let's just come up with a couple of institutions. So what's the best athletic program in the land? The best athletic program, yeah, in and in terms, terms of, of let's say 
men's football and men's basketball. We'll keep it there to keep it simple. Okay. All right. So, Florida, Ohio State, Texas. What do you think it ooh, is? Ooh, I actually kind of like Ohio State. For you that. like Ohio State? I, I like okay. Ohio State in that in that area. Okay. And, and so yeah. And okay. so who's the worst Power Five um, institution? The worst. The worst state. Power Five school. What do you mean by that? I mean, you know, uh, who is the school that struggles the most in you know in men's football and men's basketball? Oh, oh okay, That is okay. playing in okay. one of the by Power Five. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the oh, SEC. Oh, oh, Big okay, 10. okay, okay, all right, okay, okay. all right. I, I was I was losing you there a little bit because sure. it, it it just I think about these things in a slightly different. So the big conferences. Who's the worst program? So ask me that again. <laughs> so who's the worst program in the, I mean, it was a few years ago, I'd say the automatic qualifying conferences, but now I'll say the Power Five conferences. So Pac-10, Big Ten, Big 12, um, SEC and ACC. <laughs> Northwestern. Northwestern? Okay. <laughs> Pretty bad. Well, I mean, they're Illinois, school, Rutgers, right? right? Well, yeah, they're a great school, but I mean, Northwestern is... Okay, so, you know, so hypothetically, how does this change affect... The Ohio states of the world, and we'll, we'll do. You know, let's let's not single anyone out. So let's put in one group: Ohio State, Florida, Texas, and I'm I'm really talking about the teams that have the biggest revenues, right? Versus the Rutgers of the world, and the frankly the Illinois and the um, you know the Mississippi states. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So right. how does this change this direction that that the NCAA is going on? How does that affect? institutions in those two tiers my goodness if you look at it in a, like sort of an open market situation um would you is there possible that you have some like some serious heavy donors in these institutions that say we would finally like a winning program here i just told um, you rumor is florida state sounds like they were going to come up with 20 million dollars to move towards a better future yeah so do you get <laughs> you would probably through through crook rather than hook you would get programs that all of a sudden become kind of out of nowhere powerhouses, right? And so you might get Northwestern that is able to attract all these great athletes because uh, because Northwestern has, you know, like a, let's say a, a really deep pockets with respect to their to their boosters well, or, or what have you. Okay, let's let's throw out a different name then. I mean, if you want to go down that direction, so does guys like T Boone Pickens become the most powerful people in college sports. Yeah, of course, right? Absolutely. These are people, I mean, people who have just an amazing amount of wealth and are associated with one school and then they can just throw money at it and just, you know, build up a, a small army of people who are working okay. for them. Okay, so the that's one scenario. And so one scenario is the mega booster. Yeah. The, um, I don't know where Jeff Bezos went to school, but potentially I think that's what you're talking about, right? The the billionaire that loved college sports and decides to uh, throw a couple hundred... I mean, it's always a fascinating thing, right? Why do boosters... Why are they willing to devote their personal fortunes towards their, their Saturday afternoons, right? Yeah. No, who knows what their utility function is, but clearly they they have one and they're able to willing to spend money in that direction. Okay. So, right? so the, one scenario for the institutions is there's an opportunity to move up and down the ladder, to move up the ladder. Right. Right. Okay. For my elite athletic institutions, the Ohio States, the Floridas, what's the outcome of this NCAA? Oh my gosh. I, think, I mean, it's so, so do you find out whether or not they have some kind of a comparative advantage in attracting athletes who also want to get paid that's crazy i mean the yeah. idea is do you level this playing field by like giving the boosters some kind of a some kind of a, a way to rule the roost 
if you well, will. Well, and so, or do you just get some kind of a really weird outcome? So you have, you've got like Northwestern has, it wins the NCAA basketball championship two or three years in a row. And then you've got another school that says, you know, we're going to try to, we're going to outdo that by 10 mm-hmm. times or 20 times or whatever else. And then you have a new program that becomes top dog because you got crazy boosters. So is it just throwing money okay. after money after money okay, after well, money? So, so yeah. the boosters definitely, like this yeah. kind of arms race across boosters. Yeah, arms race, I like that. But do these like premium schools, and I'll, I'll argue that what they've got is these premier brands, Right. do they benefit tremendously from the NCAA? moving away i mean so so i can go play basketball kentucky or i can go play football at alabama and guess what even though i might have done that last year next year that looks even better Hmm. so you think you think going to the going to the major brand school gives the gives the student additional juice in terms of making money yeah you're gonna wear your nike tennis shoes all the way through the final four weekend ah okay all right okay so you're thinking like, okay, after the after it's be the on TV been, six times a year yeah, or twelve times a year in basketball. Settled. No, you're right because it's it's going to take two or three years to, for people to sort of sort out, uh, get you know the sort of the uh, the <laughs> athletic sorting hat, if you will, into who's going to be placed where. And in the meantime, the still the top programs are going to be the top programs, yeah. which well, means it, then people will see a return on investment, right? My ROI of going to Alabama is you know five versus five times whatever versus. Relative to, you know, a Rutgers, right? Well, when I was setting this up, when I sort of gave you that scenario of the premium schools versus the low-end schools, right. that's what I was thinking in terms of is that some of these institutions who are already have the strong brands would be the primary be- beneficiaries of this. No, you're, but, you're you know, right But there. your point about bringing in the boosters, the T. Boone Pickens of the world does is an interesting one to me because it suggests that they're, I mean, largely I think we're kind of frozen in place in NCAA sports right now between the haves and the have-nots. Right. This could create situations where you could throw enough money on the back end to actually upset the balance of power that is sort of defined by the key brands at this moment. You could. You could. Right? I mean, is it possible that you can get like a dark horse school that all of a sudden becomes the place where the boosters have unlimited pockets, right? You just so have to have billionaires. That's you just have the to have billionaires, right? That's the and key, so, billionaire alumni. Exactly, exactly, right? And, so, I mean, and, and you know, all types of schools have billionaire alumni, and so... You know, billionaire alumni a, that love college sports. Oh, my gosh, I mean, right? I mean, you know, I mean, who who knows? I mean, it's, it, think about people who, who like, let's say, in Nebraska, right? Your Nebraska teams that, you know, were... were football champions and powerhouses for years and years and years and years and years and then lately have not been so much so you can still have people who are billionaire boosters in those programs and say i want to get back to you know the good old days so let's throw you know throw a billion dollars at this thing right and all of a sudden now you've got a top program again it's kind of you know floating out there in the wind i mean but it's it could be a top program okay so some potential winners yeah and some people that could potentially change the dynamics of college football yeah. What about the bottom schools? What about the bottom of the Power Five conferences and the MAC schools? How does this potential change play out for them? I can't see any winning scenario for these schools, <laughs> right? I don't see any. I don't see any scenario where these schools say this is great for us because all you're going to get is you're going to get athletes that are coming there saying, "How am I going to get mine?" and we're not on national TV. Mm-hmm. Nobody shows up for these games. It's you know I I I want to play and I want to get paid for it. And so you're trying to attract these top athletes. Right now, those schools can say, 
okay, you're not being recruited by any of these guys. We're going to play you. You're going to play. And you know what? Every once in a while, we get somebody who's drafted out of one of these programs because we give them opportunities to play. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you get? You get a different kind of incentive going into the program. Well, you can, uh, listen, listen, son, you're a great player. You can uh, can go to one of these national powerhouses or you can come help us build a program at... uh, Right. It's at local state U. That's right, right? And, and you know, because you're going to be the top dog, right? You know, the, the biggest fish in a small pond will get some attention, right? And so, hey, you know, you're gonna, you would be third off the bench at, at you know, at, okay. at, at Arizona. You'd be third off the but bench now, somewhere else. But now we're going to tilt the you – know, it was already kind of a tilted system. Right. Okay, so let's assume that, let's assume that we tilt it even more. Okay, so here's where I'm going with my argument in terms of. So again, I'll sort of be anti this for today's conversation. No, it's, uh, you're you're convincing me quite a bit though. Um, so it's, don't, it's, I'm becoming. Don't do that. Okay, no, you're not. You uh, are. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, you're but, you're giving me some some food for thought. But let, so let's come back to to my school of University of Illinois. That even though I think they've got a three game winning streak right now, has struggled mightily for the last decade in terms of football. So. Going forward, if the role of sports at my institution becomes ever more to be an opponent, why do I want to be in that business? Yeah. And, you know, is it a business or not? We, we can argue that. But why do I want to take part of that? Come to University of Illinois, home of a great engineering school, a great business school, and a 3-9 um, and nine football program every year, right? Yeah. No, it's... it's no, I'm just... Try to think how these schools win in these scenarios. I mean, clearly some schools, the schools that have programs, the schools that are, that are currently in shape could bring in an athlete. The athlete could make a buck off his name or her name. These are schools that would, would definitely benefit from this system. The schools that don't have don't have anything to offer these athletes in these scenarios, are they're going to get worse initially unless they get somebody who just can throw money at it. But if they're not willing to throw money at it, then you're you're gonna get just even more concentrated athletes in these top schools, and and then the, then the school just becomes known for oh uh, the recruiting pitch is oh you know this guy Bob last year you know he got a three million dollar contract for X Y and Z right so maybe now it it's, becomes hey you know you're not gonna win but you know we play Ohio State a couple times a year and they're on TV right <laughs> exactly wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so everyone, I think I'm gonna let's let's cut it here because I think this is a good natural break point. So when we come back in the third episode of this series, what Tom and I will do is we'll have a discussion about how to move forward on this. And so, how can you sort of take the the current movement away from pure amateurism towards some notion where the players are compensated? And so, Tom and I will put some ideas out there in terms of how you can make this a solution that works that benefits both the players and a collection of diverse institutions. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like let's propose some things that, that could actually make this, because we're definitely going down this road. Yeah. So how do we make this road less bumpy? Okay. It's, it's easy to be a critic, but it's much more difficult to offer up solutions. So next episode, Tom and I will do some heavy lifting. I like that. I okay. like that. So as always, everyone, um, you know, more content, more content related to this kind of stuff on this, uh, on the website, which is fanalyticswithmikelewis.com. Talk to you guys again soon. Thank you, Mike. Bye, Tom.